Hola, modis, and welcome to the first edition of Hola, Betty. My name is Ben Almaden, and joining me is my partner in crime, the Amanda to my mark, my good friend. Tony, hola. Hola, Tony. I can't believe we're finally here doing this. No, me either. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming, and may I say it's pronounced hola. No, there's an H in it. <laughs> So let's rewind and, um, you know, just slow it down a bit for our uh, listeners out there. And uh, just, yeah, let's explain who we are and why we're here and what's all this whole our business. So, uh, Tony, we've known each other um, a good while now. And uh, one of the things that brought us together was our mutual love of Ugly Betty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it's been what about four and a half years that we've known one another. Right, right. We met. Um, we met at conventions. We've done many comic cons together since, um, and I can honestly not think of one where we haven't referenced Ugly Betty in some way, shape, or form. No, me either. I mean, I'm not quite sure how we realised we were both Ugly Betty fans. Um, I don't know how it came up whether it was a reference or something um but i think we were very excited that we you know that we both found out we were betty fans so um and since then yeah i don't think there's a con that's gone by where we haven't sang milkshake in amanda yeah amanda's Amanda's version version. yeah i'm sorry calice but becky newton owns this one okay yeah um so yeah i mean i i don't know about you as well tone but like certainly when we were getting to know each other the fact that we both had this mutual love for this show was so amazing because for me I knew so few people who actually watched Betty back when it aired yeah same um I think a couple of my uni friends um watched it so we would sort of talk about it um and then if we'd gone sort of gone home for the holidays we'd always to keep in touch about it but there wasn't that many people that I knew that I could sort of talk about it with so I think I was quite shocked when you said that um that you were an ugly Betty fan but uh since then I think we've really milked all of and <laughs> reference it whenever we can yeah yes literally literally anyone who's seen us at um, a convention or around the streets of London um <laughs> on the tube <laughs> Yeah, we will, uh, you'll have probably experienced this at some point. Um, so, um, so yeah, so here we are doing this uh, podcast, I guess as a, um, as a look back, as a nostalgic um, look back at this show that we have so much passion for. And, you know, you approached me with this idea and I was so on board, like, so on board. Like, I mean, how did this idea come to be? You know what? I think I was just sitting here one day, you know, in lockdown, just sitting here. It was like literally maybe a month and a half ago or something, just sitting here. Um, Might have been listening to other podcasts and it just sort of came to my head you know what would be really fun is if me and Ben did an Ugly Betty podcast. Um, so I think it took me a couple of weeks to get around to asking you 
Um, but as soon as I did, I knew I made the right decision because your, your face was just one of they were joy. <laughs> it was one of those moments for me where I kind of thought, how have I not thought of this already? Yeah. Like, it just makes so much sense. So for everyone listening, I guess the aim of what we're going to do on this show is to uh, go through every single episode of Betty, starting today with the pilot episode, and, you know, look back on the show, you know, memories that it brings up for us, or things that we didn't know, bit of trivia. We're going to be looking at all sorts of elements, talking about the themes, the characters, and we just hope that you enjoy this look back as much as we do. Um, Though... I will say it right now, and I'm sure Tony will agree with me, there is going to be some spoiler talk. So if you're new to Betty, maybe listen to us after you've watched the episodes. (laughs) Yeah, because we are going to talk about a lot of spoilers, a lot of foreshadowing, I think. So, um, so yeah, if you don't want to ruin for you, I suggest you turn this podcast off right now. So, uh, without further ado, let's get straight into it and discuss episode one of season one of Ugly Betty, the pilot episode. Yay! Um, well, let's start with the opening scene then. Yeah. Uh, where we meet our heroine, Betty, and she's waiting for an interview at Mead Publications. You know what? I loved this scene so much Mm -hmm. because I felt like it just set the tone immediately for what this show was. Boom, big close-up of Betty, glasses and braces on full display, the title card, Ugly Betty. Basically, this is what you are getting. Yeah, exactly. So it's nice to, you know not sort of dally around things you know there she is here we go right into it and what what happens well a glamorous model comes and sits beside her (laughs) and you just immediately know from there I think like the the type of show that is going to be you know that it's I guess you wouldn't know that she's going you know that she'd end up working at a fashion magazine I guess but I think it sort of shows the type of like world that she's going into. Absolutely. This juxtaposition of, you know, someone who looks like Betty and someone so uber glamorous, but um, this is something I put down in my notes as well when we've been sat watching the episodes, but that, you know, this scene shows that, you know, Betty's being judged on her appearance immediately, despite the fact that she's clearly quite intelligent and knowledgeable mm, absolutely yeah so it's just it's obviously um like a a world where looks definitely matter to these people so you know she's sitting there she even tries to engage conversation in this with this woman and you know this woman kind of sneers at her you know talks to her but she's sort of treats her as a bit of gum on her shoe basically right is- and then and then we have uh, Betty being called for the interview and then again judged on her appearance and the guy's like, oh, you know, sorry, the, the, the vacancy's been closed now. And, you, you know, Betty tries to put her um, case across and the fact that she articulates herself so well seems to stand for nothing in this environment that she's being thrust into. 
Mm. Yeah, because, you know, he he literally just takes one look at her and decides, well, she's not right for the role because she doesn't fit into this world. Yeah, um, she's not one of yeah. us. Exactly. So it's definitely uh, um, sort of judging a book by its, uh, by its cover situation. Um, and then when she tries to, you know, sort of persist to try and, you know, get him to listen that she's got, you know, sort of not so much experience, but, you know, her passions for working in magazines. Um, and as she's following him, she even sort of stumbles up the steps, which I think is a way of showing that she's trying to sort of grapple at a lot of straws and she's evidently just failing because he's not listening to her. That's really interesting. That I, I hadn't really thought about that. Uh, about her stumbling up the steps but really it's quite symbolic of Betty's journey for the whole four seasons that she persists in fighting this uphill battle to achieve her goals. Yeah exactly because she continuously sort of hits these walls and stumbles her way through her life but you know she does come out all right in the end but it's just obviously just a lot of things again in her path first. Now, we also get introduced very, very briefly to another of the major players of the show um, in this scene, um, head honcho Bradford Mead, played by the legend that is Mr. Alan Dale. Um, just going to put it out there now, huge Neighbours fan here. So back in the day when I first watched the Betty pilot, I was like, oh my God, Jim Robinson is in this. And then like, since then, he's been in everything. Everything. Like he was in um, a couple of episodes of Once Upon a Time. He was in, was he in something Marvel related, I want to say? Or am I just... He possibly was, I think, and and he was in Lost um, as well as Charles Widmore. He was in Torchwood. Like, this guy has done everything. Mm. Um, But, you know, after Jim Robinson, Bradford is really the role that I associate him with the most. Mm. I think for me, he was the first, Ugly Betty was the first thing that I saw him in. So it was after then that I would always sort of refer to him as like, oh, it's Mr. Mead and whatever, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, um, but, so yeah. So, and we'll get, we'll get to Bradford, you know, as we progress through the episode. But something that really stood out to me immediately was that we see Bradford looking down on Betty from above. And this, to me, was so symbolic of what the show was trying to say in terms of class you know, we have Bradford elevated up, like on this balcony, almost godlike, looking down, literally looking down on Betty, um, as you know, the people that he employs are looking down on her because of her appearance. Um, but obviously, Bradford's got his own thoughts going on, but we'll get to that. Yeah, you you can see, like from the get go, like you obviously don't know who he is at that point, but you know, you, you can see that there's a plan forming in in his eyes there so um so yeah we obviously see what that plan is um in a little bit but yeah you know something's going on there for sure um so i believe the next thing we go to is the uh suarez household where we start with something that clearly inspired the late great sylvia water to create this show the telenovela. The telenovela.
And I think I mentioned to you yesterday that I completely forgot that in that telenovela, you have some hair. This completely blew my mind when I watched this, but given how much we both have watched Betty, I forgot this too. And, you know, obviously Salma has a lot to do with this show. And, you know, when we saw her, I was like, oh, I don't remember that. No, I mean, obviously I remember her being, you know, in the show a bit later on. Um, And obviously she's an executive producer of the show as well. So, but I just completely forgot that um, you know that she was she was in sort of the first episode just very very briefly, but um, but yeah. So telenovelas are obviously shown quite a bit through Ugly Betty, and you can obviously tell that Ugly Betty is pretty much a telenovela itself, just very very Americanized. <laughs> Absolutely, and that's something I often wonder is. Do the Suarez's watch this show as escapism or do they watch it as a reflection of their own lives? You know, because certainly some of the stuff that we see on their telenovelas are over the top and extreme, but so is some of the lives of the Suarez family. Oh, yeah. And I I guess not even just them either, but just everyone in that show in general. I mean, you'll see a bit later on, like sort of plans forming and things like that. And it's very, very dramatic. Um, and can be a little bit over the top as well, but you know, it's just it's brilliant. And I've never actually watched like an an actual sort of Spanish telenovela. Um, I know Betty was based on um, the the original telenovela. Was it? Oh, what's the full uh, name? I think it's, it's something like Yo Soy Betty La Fay. I want yes, to say. that's it. Yeah. So I. I've never actually seen it myself. Have you seen it? No, th- th- that would be interesting for us to actually maybe compare Betty Le Fay to, to the show that we know and love. Mm. Um, I imagine there'd be a lot more similarities than we probably expect. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, it's my understanding that when um, sort of that Betty goes to um, work for um, for the company that, she she does actually fall in love with her boss type thing, which obviously we don't get, um, you know, really at the moment. Not <laughs> at the moment. Um, it, it very much is a very slow process, but um, I, I was reading like a quick synopsis uh, yesterday where it said that she does fall in love with her boss. So I don't know how quick that is. Um in the show, I guess well, we'd have to try and find her and find out. Well, you know, Betty's love life is certainly quite something. Um, and again, we'll get to that. But first, let's talk about the Suarez family, because in this scene, we're also introduced to Justin, Hilda and Ignacio. Mm-hmm. I love these guys. Like, I would move in with them in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just, you can tell, like, from the get-go that they're, a, you know, a loving, close family, even if they are vastly, vastly different. Um, uh, I, you know, I guess just in any way, you know, being brought up um, without, say, you know, a real father figure, obviously has Ignacio, but not his actual mm-hmm. father. You can tell that he has sort of similar loves to Hilda because she loves all her sort of bling and, and fashion and things. So, but the, yeah, they are I mean, still vastly different. 
for, for sure, you, you, you know, Justin, yes, he's very flamboyant, but I sincerely think, you know, given the age of the character at this time, sexuality, you know, I remember even back in the day, everyone's like, oh, okay, it's the gay kid. And actually, you know, Justin probably didn't know what he was at that point, you know, because no. um, he's still young, but, you know, he's flamboyant and he he does enjoy a lot of things that his mom enjoys, but he's not ashamed of that. Um, and Hilda, as you say, you know, very glam, very blingy, um, bit of sassy attitude to her, um, very different to Betty. And then Ignacio is just such this calm, uh, collected figure. Like, they're wildly different, but they work so well in this family unit. Yeah. Yeah, they really do. They know how to look after after one another. Um Although I, I think Hilda is sort of sometimes, um, you know, when she sort of looks at Betty, I, I don't know. There's just something that, you know, she kind of, when Walter comes in, for instance, and I know we'll get to that in a little bit, but, you know, she says, you know, oh, he's quite a catch, but would Walter necessarily be somebody that Hilda would go for? Do you know what I mean? Like, and when Betty goes to work at Mode as well, I think it's just not something that Hilda really approves of, I guess. For sure. I, I mean, I think, I think Hilda definitely has her own view of the world um, that's very different to Betty's. I think, you know, some may say that Betty lives in this dream world and, and Hilda lives in reality. And that's what I love about Ignacio is that he actually thinks they're both right and, you know, they can both achieve what they want dependent on how they look at things and you know what really touched me in this scene is you know we're seeing the the family dynamic you know um Justin's there you know watching tv you know Hilda's busy doing whatever she's doing uh you know Betty comes and says you know this didn't go well at me publications and what I loved about Ignacio's reaction to it was that you know, he was just like, well, something must not be right. You know, how could Mead Publications not hire you? He's very supportive of, um, of Betty following her dreams. And, you know, it wouldn't entertain Ignacio's head that the reason she didn't get the job would be because of her appearance, you know. And that's what I really loved, that, like, Ignacio doesn't see things on, like, a surface level. He, he really he's very deep and profound. Yeah. Absolutely. And with Hilda as well, she can obviously sort of see, you know, she knows her sister very well. So when Betty says that, you know, she kind of lies and says, yeah, it went, you know, it went really well. And, you know, she's obviously not very good at lying. So Hilda's like, uh, you didn't get it, did you? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, she knows something's wrong, like right away. So, um, so I think she, she obviously knows her sister very well and can tell when she's lying. Although I think anybody <laughs> tell that Betty was lying right there. Also in this scene, we have um, Justin telling uh, Betty that he overheard Walter saying what he thought was Betty is the one. Um, so instantly we're thrown into the world of Betty's love life here. And as you mentioned, Hilda calls uh, Walter a catch and I'm not quite sure I believe Hilda when she says that you know I couldn't imagine Hilda chasing someone like Walter but okay um and certainly you know 
when you do come to meet Walter, you really begin to question this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know whether she just means that he's a catch for somebody like Betty. I don't think she would mean it sort of um, maliciously or anything like no. that. But like you said, I don't think that he's particularly somebody that uh, that Hilda would, would chase at all. So I think it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, he's he's kind of a catch for you, Betty. You know, could yeah yeah i don't know what what's also interesting though is looking back at this pilot episode is actually how invested in walter betty is you know especially as this episode plays out and how she reacts to what walter does um you know she's very invested and you know when we see her relationships um change and blossom over time it's hard to believe that she would have ever been this invested looking back at Walter. But, you know, I guess the world of Mode magazine just opened her eyes in so many other ways as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she could have just been even thinking herself that, you know, this is what she was kind of like settling for. Like, you know, he's in, in Hilda's words, like a good catch type thing. Um, so, you know, I don't think she pretty much knew any better. But then, yeah, definitely going into mode, she she definitely has a different eye. Because um, I, I think there's an episode where she has to do like a review, isn't there? And she goes uh-huh. to the swanky hotel and he does not fit in there. And it's, it's almost like she's kind of embarrassed by him. Um, so, yeah, I think as soon as she starts to work from mode, her, her feelings about uh, about all sorts of things change very very drastically to what they would have done beforehand i agree and i don't think it's necessarily even on a superficial level i think it's more on a level of maybe betty's realized that she's settled for less for a long time yeah she she probably doesn't think that she's you know maybe even deserving of that much she's trying to follow her dreams and such but you know she's probably been made fun of for, for a long long time so she doesn't think that they they could be any better i guess but you know she's then thrown into this world where there's glamorous people all around her and stuff and i guess your you know your views would slightly change wouldn't they but I, I guess it's just you know the type of uh, the type of person that you are and whether you think that you would change or not but i think but yeah i guess circumstances we'll changes all but yeah um we then go on to see Justin watching fashion news daily without the legend that is Suzuki just yet. Um, and they're discussing, well, actually this whole broadcast is a bit of a bombardment of plot points here that's really key to the show. So first they're discussing the death and funeral of Faye Summers, who as the show progresses, we learn a lot more about uh, and for a character that's deceased for you know the duration of the show, um, she has a lot to, to, to do with moving the plot forward. Um, but the news broadcast also talks about um, Wilhelmina Slater being snubbed in favour of Daniel Mead um, for the role of editor-in-chief of Mode magazine. Um, and something that stood out to me on this, I don't know if you picked up on this, is when they flash up the... Um, the, the images of Daniel and Wilhelmina side by side, Daniel's dressed all in black and Wilhelmina's dressed all in white. And you, yes, we become, uh, we, 
And yes, we come to expect Wilhelmina wearing her trademark white, but I just found this really interesting that this is the first time we're seeing these two characters. And you could argue that, you know, dark and light that you know the way the broadcast portrays Daniel is oh he stole Wilhelmina poor Wilhelmina and you know it's kind of like saying he's the bad guy and we should feel sorry for her and then obviously as the episode goes on we learn there's a lot more to these people than than maybe this news broadcast first made out yeah absolutely I mean you, you immediately think oh who are these people and what are they gonna have to do with the show type thing uh, but no I didn't actually pick up on on that um obviously uh, you know you notice later on that she does wear a lot of white um which is uh, like you say her signature signature mark but no i didn't i didn't actually pick up on on that one so good finding and then we uh we get some great music by jeff beale who does the score for the show which you know i love jeff's work on this and it plays over um daniel sleeping or appearing to be sleeping at the office um where we see the man on the balcony bradford mead daniel's father come and visit him this scene was so funny mm-hmm. yeah it, it really was you know <laughs> slightly awkward but um but yeah really really funny I and mean, you can see already that he's abusing his power of being made a, a editor-in-chief um and that he you know he actually doesn't care all he wants is sort of like a good time money and, and women so you, you kind of um have a sense of his character right away i think i mean i mean you could just feel the cringeworthiness uh if you were in that room, you know, seeing Bradford's face as he finds the underwear in the plant is bad <laughs> enough. But then to see the lady like emerge from under Daniel's desk, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was very, very cringy. And, you know, especially when Bradford first comes in and he's like, oh, you know, you're like in your new office. And then all of a sudden, yeah, he finds the underwear and like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> this is why he likes his new office. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, you know, because we're looking at this as like a bit of a nostalgic throwback, it's actually really interesting watching these early episodes because actually Daniel came across as a really unlikable character. Mm -hmm. Especially in this episode, like as it goes on, you think that he is literally an arrogant arsehole. (laughs) <laughs> yes, quite literally, <laughs> quite literally. I, I can't lie, you, you know, it, it's weird because like, you know, for the longest duration, I was so against the idea of Betty and Daniel ending up together. Obviously, you know, it played out that way towards the the series finale, but it did it in such an organic, natural way. But like rewatching these early episodes reminds me of like why I was so vehemently against it. Yeah, because he, he is actually a very horrible person in the beginning. And it's, you obviously, like, can see why, you know, it, it was a good idea anyway for Betty to become his assistant. And no, not for um, for Bradford's reasoning behind it, but that she's actually a really good influence on him. So he actually, his character very, changes very drastically as, as time goes on. And that he's not the person that he once was when when he did um, started Mead Publications. For sure, for sure. Um, so 
moving on, Betty then has a bit of like a, a, a double blow um, because um, we get to meet Walter. And yeah, he's certainly no catch. He's certainly no catch. And um, yeah, Walter lets Betty down big time, thinking he's going to propose. Actually, he breaks up with Betty and we're introduced to another recurring guest star, um, the character of Gina Gambaro, who we find out Walter has shacked up with. Oh man, like, poor Betty. Like, I don't know what's worse, that he uh, cheated on her with bloody Gina, or, or that Walter, you know, could have the nerve to cheat on Betty, or that someone like Gina would actually look twice at Walter. Yeah, exactly. Like you wouldn't think, I mean, you know, definitely appearances is not everything, but you'd think, God, how how on earth would somebody like Walter have gone with with somebody like Gina? Um, But, you know, I guess you find out anyway that she was just using him for a a plasma TV screen. Um, But it's just, it's really horrible to think that he, you know, pushes... Betty aside for for this awful, ridiculous, skanky woman. I guess <laughs> she she's <laughs> not ple- she's really not pleasant, is she? She she's no. literally like, you know. I feel like if this show was remade now, someone like Cardi B would be playing Gina Gambaro. <laughs> like she's just not pleasant. She's just not pleasant. She's a user. Um, she's a bit of a tart uh yeah i guess if it does it for walter but certainly not for us um so yeah then we have the second half of the double whammy betty's sat there eating some flan because who wouldn't want to eat flan in a moment like that and then she gets a call um from mead publications and justin is very very excited because Betty is offered a job at Mode magazine. Yes. So um, obviously it wouldn't be her first choice. And she, I think she even says that to Justin, doesn't she? That, you know, wouldn't have been her choice of magazine, but she's just literally looking for anything that she can currently to get into the, into the media uh, magazine business. So she's just going to take it. Of course, she's going to take it. And you, you kind of think at this point anyway, you know, you'd wonder, well, she didn't even have like an interview. So to be an offered a job when, you know, she didn't even really get to express like, you know, why she wanted a job at Mead Publications uh, and things like, you know, you'd kind of think, oh, well, how am I being offered a job? And, you know, I don't know what it's really for. Um and they don't really know me, you know, I've not had that sort of uh, professional, um, I don't know what, what yeah, you'd say, um, like a press to go through that. Yeah, like she, she literally did not go through that professional process at all. So to, you know, be offered a job, not even an interview, you're like, oh, okay, maybe you should have thought about that. But she's just very excited, isn't she? Just to even get an opportunity at someone like me publications and and that's what I love as well is that you know Betty could have been very put off and been like no that's not me I'm not going to do it but she thinks actually I'm going to take on this challenge and I'm going to put myself out of my comfort zone because 
this could help me get to where I want to be. And I, I find that so admirable. Yeah, she sees the is a foot in the door um, sort of opportunity and she's not going to let her pass by. So no matter what she has to do, she's, she's just going to take it. And I think that's kind of why I immediately gravitated to this show and to the character of Betty, you know, um, outside of my day job, you know, I am an aspiring writer and, you know, I've had works on in theatres and stuff and I have a writing degree and I want to get books published, but, you know, it's a very uphill road. And what I loved is, and what felt I felt inspired by is that Betty was always that character who said, there is no reason not to achieve your dreams. You just keep going and you, you know, you battle through those bad experiences to get to the good place. And I, I just found that very, very admirable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. And then Justin obviously shares his excitement because I think he's trying, just trying to reap the benefits. Of yes, of course. Who wouldn't? Work in a mode might mean. <laughs> um, and then he obviously says about, you know, her fashion I didn't I think he's comment something about her fashion sense but then she's like I know exactly what to wear right and then we transition into one of the most iconic scenes of television ever made literally if you imagined ugly Betty this is probably what you would see we mm-hmm. see a man uh, we see Betty arriving at Mode magazine in iconic Guadalajara poncho yes because <laughs> as we sort of flash back to that opening scene where she comments on that lady's poncho and says oh you know my father got me one from Guadalajara <laughs> and obviously the uh, the woman sort of sneers and uh, says Milan Dolce and Gabbana fall <laughs> but you know Betty seems to think that the poncho no matter what it is is the it thing in the fashion world at the moment so that's what she wears on her very first day uh i mean very brave of her to be honest i think she's it's she's a, a very choice. brave character and that she yeah and she doesn't care either like she knows that she's not fashionable whatsoever but she she just wears her own thing even working in um, a place like Mode Magazine where fashion and appearance is everything, but she doesn't care. She whistles to her own tune. She's tune still authentically herself, you know. Yeah. She, she's wearing this and saying, no, this is me. This is who I am. This is where I'm from. Yeah, but absolutely. We're introduced to one of our favourite characters here, Tony, the amazing, <laughs> yeah. amazing Becky Newton as Amanda and what a great first line of any character in a show are you the before <laughs> yeah and Betty is like does not have a clue what she's talking about um and you know and that's exactly what Amanda is going to think isn't it I mean somebody like her Amanda and there's a lot of Amandas in that workplace as well oh yes that she is just gonna oh, yes. again judge uh books by his by his cover and she's naturally going to think, uh, you know, well, she's got to be a before model. And then her next, <laughs> her next line is, are you delivering something? <laughs> which, <laughs> which can be taken, you know, I, I guess some of the comments in this show is probably a little bit out of date now. Um, yes. But, you know, 
for her to say for Becky to say, no, I'm not the before model. So then her next thought is, well, she's got to be a delivery person. <laughs> like, typical do, do you know, Amanda. I, and do you know what, though? Some of the, the comedy, some people might find outdated now. But one thing I will say is that I, I wouldn't ever look at this show as having any kind of like racist undertones because literally um, the, the show deals with a lot of stereotypes, but also the show's not afraid to mock people of all cultures. No, absolutely not. I mean, well, if you, if you think anyway that Amanda, like she's not the brightest cool in the shed is she like she's sort of your typical pretty pretty girl but she she's not got a lot going on she's very superficial she's very superficial but but yeah it it mocks all types of people of you know sort of all cultures all sizes you know it 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 doesn't you know they're not picking on one sort of particular person or one particular thing so i guess that's kind of good about it so then Amanda sends Betty on her way to her meeting, which starts with Betty, you know, running into a glass window <laughs> because, you know, who wouldn't do that? Um, I, I must admit, I probably would have done. I, I really felt for Betty then. Um, but she joins the meeting and I think everybody else's faces are just as shocked to see her as Amanda was. Um, and we have, you know, Daniel trying to like, plant his feet firmly as editor-in-chief and try and lead this meeting when we are introduced formally (laughs) to my favourite character on this show, Vanessa Williams as Wilhelmina Slater. She comes in followed by Mark acting like a little lapdog behind her and she just takes complete control of this meeting. Yes. She's very dramatic and, you know, she kind of makes the comment, oh, I can see you started without me, which can mean that she's either a bit irked that they started without her or that she knew exactly that they'd started and she wanted to make an entrance when they'd already started the meeting. So it was, it's probably the latter. It probably was the latter. I mean, at this point for the audience, I guess they're still kind of like, oh, you know, she's already been like, you know, beaten to the job and now they're not including her. But, you know, that's not Wilhelmina's game as we soon find out. You know, she gives Daniel this present and then, um, you know, she tries to really take control of the meeting and does that very successfully, sending people on the way and completely undermining Daniel. Um, Because let's be honest here, um, I I don't know about you, but realistically, maybe Bradford was a bit of a dick giving the job to Daniel because clearly Wilhelmina is the more qualified person for the job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what the hell does Daniel know about fashion? (laughs) (laughs) He's probably got as much experience of fashion as Betty does, let's be honest. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's very very clear that he's out of his comfort zone too. And whilst, yeah, he wants to, you know, impress his father, Wilhelmina, she knows what she's doing. But, you know, obviously Bradford kind of knows what kind of person Willie is. And, um, yeah, I just... I find it very hard to believe that Daniel would have got that job, but you know, thanks nepotism, he got it. Um, so then we cut to another scene that has always stuck out in my memory uh, in Ugly Betty is 
Mark giving Wilhelmina the Botox. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it's, I don't think that's what I expected to see when I first watched it. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just I, calmly I, just doing this in the middle of your office. I, I was the same back in the day when the show first aired. I was just like, oh, why? Oh, okay, then this is happening. And I've always been really curious about that. I'm just like, you know, did Michael Yui really put a needle in Vanessa Williams' head? Like, wow, that's commitment to the role. Or was it like some sort of prosthetic or who knows? But um, I just love how it's being so done so casually as if it was such a normal occurrence in their daily working life. Yeah, absolutely. And then the fact as well that when there's some leftover and she says, oh, well, you know, you can have it. And he's like, oh, I love you. <laughs> and just like the you can see that there's sort of more than a um a little bit more than sort of a boss and assistant type of relationship and the fact that he calls her Willie um you know so normally and naturally yes um, and th- they have th- this sort of little gossipy relationship that you know there's a little bit more there you can you can tell that you know they're sort of fond of one another I guess yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Willie really does not trust people, but it's very clear that she trusts Mark. Otherwise, you know, she wouldn't have him putting needles in her head. Uh, and Mark <laughs> Mark is very fond. And yeah, he comes across as a lapdog for quite a while in this show. But I sincerely believe that he is fond of Wilhelmina. It's not just a I'm sucking up to my boss kind of thing. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, he, he does suck up to her, but it, it is a more of a fondness as well. But at the same time, um, there are still some boundaries because then when she goes to take a suspicious phone call, she tells yes. him to leave the room. So there's obviously, although there, you know, there is a fondness there that maybe goes a bit beyond just boss and assistant, there's also that boundary of, well, you're still an assistant. I need to take this phone call. Get out. <laughs> you know? And, yeah, let's discuss that phone call. Um, it sets up an ongoing mystery for the first season. And um, quite honestly, I forgot that this was introduced in the pilot episode, that, you know, how early on this played out. Yeah, I kind of did, to be honest. Like, I thought it was a little bit later, like a, at least a few episodes in that we get this storyline. But no, no, it's literally from the get-go. And that's um, a nice little shout-out to that telenovela, I think, because it built, starts to build up the drama because you immediately think, hmm, who's this suspicious figure in this dark room talking to Wilhelmina? What are they talking about? Yeah, because Why I, is I it think, a big thing? I think no one would have really expected this show to have a mystery element to it, but, you know, it had me hooked. And, you know, obviously they, they lead the, the audience down the wrong path um, in their guesses. But, you know, certainly I fell for the bait the first time I watched this show because my mind it went back to the news report that Faye had died. And, you know, the fact that Wilhelmina's on the phone saying, how are you recovering, darling? It's like, well, what, is Faye alive? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I immediately thought that it was Faye Summers. I wouldn't have guessed that it that it is who it is. In the end, I, I never would have guessed that one. Yeah. Um, 
so then we um we go to mode we go to mode and um we have um the in and we have the introduction of um philippe or philippe i i forget the pronunciation um you know he's come to uh to to work on the shoot that they're doing and yeah he's got some pretty nasty advice for daniel regarding betty absolutely and and you you find out as well just before you sort of um uh sort of go into the office and you know sort of hear their conversation is that betty's outside doing um being a good assistant by researching fabia cosmetics amanda comes along and starts to you know try and um you know get some gossip what's going on um and then she uh, immediately says that um you know there was a bit of bad history between Daniel and Philippe is and that Daniel had slept with Philippe's girlfriend so you immediately think hmm okay so they're friends again but is this something that's sort of gonna you know affect the episode right. like you know it's something to keep for later I think for sure and but I think as well you know maybe that's why Daniel is kind of quite quick to listen to Philippe because um you know the boat has already been rocked once in the past so now you know um now that Daniel's the head honcho you know he's wanting to keep everyone in his favor and uh and yeah so he um you know he listens to some very nasty advice off Philippe yeah and the, he's uh, he's he's basically going to try and make Betty quit. Yeah, um, I, I, it just nope. again reinforces how shallow this world of Mode magazine really is. You know that. Yeah. By saying that Betty's appearance is a reflection of Daniel. Yeah, exactly, and that you know she doesn't fit into this world just because of how she looks. And I think Philippe was a bit pissed off as well because um betty obviously unknowingly um sort of um uh, try, sort of accused philippe of um of plagiarizing some of his photo spreads which yes. is not what she was doing but that is the way that he took it so he's obviously going to be a bit pissed by that as well and i mean so you know you- it, it, it's it's harsh that he didn't even just call her ugly he actually called her fugly so like yeah. he's also attacking her weight there as well and the one thing i will never ever ever say is that betty is overweight like please no. anyone who goes down that argument just stop listening to our show now yeah exactly it's um you know it's completely not true at all and you know and i guess to these models and things that, that she is going to be you know sort of overweight because they literally are a size zero but in in real world she is a normal size you know and yeah she likes the odd donut you see her a bit later you know picking up donuts from the um, catering cart where nobody in that room is going to pick up a donut <laughs> but, you know good for her so what yeah, right. she, she likes to eat who cares so then we have Betty um, on a lunch break and again, she's been shunned. She's all alone, but she makes her first friend at work. 
when she meets Christina, the amazing Ashley Jensen. Um, yes. I forgot how much I loved Christina. Yeah, she she's absolutely great. And and the first feel that I got was Betty going into that cafeteria as well. And, and I know you really don't like this film, but it was kind of a Mean Girls vibe, you know, of the, uh-huh. the cafeteria scene with all the different groups. And I think Mode is kind of a real shout at a school situation anyway. Oh, Because everybody very is very judgy. Yeah. Absolutely. So it, you get kind of very get you very much get a high school vibe when going into mode and particularly into that cafeteria. But yep, she's you know tries to sit on the first seat that she can find, and then along comes Christina and she she doesn't judge Betty by her appearance. She immediately wants to be her friend because she can see that she's being shunned by everyone else. So then we have. Um, also um, Christina introduces Betty to Zelda and Nancy and I'm not sure we actually ever see them again after this so because obviously like Christina's got a little click with them but then as the show goes on we're more invested in the friendship between the two Betty and and Christina yeah I I don't think unless we see them in maybe another episode or two very early on but I don't we very much don't see them again because I'm always surprised every time I rewatch this show that there's you know sort of a, a couple of the people that Betty is introduced to sort of friendly yeah. type because so it's then, usually just her and Christina for sure so then we have Bradford feeding the birds where he meets a <laughs> private investigator because he's worried that perhaps Faye isn't as dead as he'd like to think she is. Clearly getting at the fact that there is some tension in history here between Faye and Bradford. And, you know, Faye's, you know, ghost very much lingers over this pilot episode. Yeah, absolutely. And you you kind of start to wonder, well, what effect did she have on everybody's lives? So, you know, why is she mentioned so much? you know, why is she affecting everybody? Is it her in this very dark room making um, suspicious phone calls to, to Wilhelmina? And, you know, and why is, is Bradford so uptight about everything? So, yeah, so you immediately wonder what's going on there, for sure, and why he's, you know, meeting up with this, this private investigator guy. What's going on? So we then have a montage of um, just some really shitty behaviour from Daniel towards Betty, making her job very, very difficult, which ultimately ends up with um, Betty forgetting Ignacio's birthday and not being able to to join straight away, much to the uh, dismay of Hilda. Yeah, absolutely. You kind of see from here that um that you know what i was saying earlier that hilda does not approve this job because of it you know so makes her easily forget her her own father's birthday you know maybe it's not a good fit but then betty is trying her best you know because hilda has these series of um of jobs which obviously doesn't pay that well um and you see a bit later on that they're obviously trying to scramble for money for Ignacio's medication and stuff so right. you know Betty that's another 
reason why Betty's taking this job because she thinks that she needs to provide for her family. For sure. And, and you know, it, it's very obvious that the family dynamic is something that's so important to to all of the Suarez family. Um, you, you know, and Betty's evidently cut up that she's missed, you know, Ignacio's birthday. Um, but she's in between a, a rock and a hard place there. Um, but then we cut to... Um, Daniel sleeping with Amanda before switching bed partners. Um, so, yeah, again, kind of like showing us that, you know, Amanda was eyeing Betty's job. So that's going to set up tensions even more between Betty and Amanda. And that, you know, Daniel is a bit of a playboy and, you know, that he's got some very questionable, you know, motives and ideologies. And yeah, this scene actually just made me really dislike Daniel so much. Absolutely. I mean, the fact that he got Betty outside, keeping an eye for the next girl arriving, I'm sure he's got any way that Amanda and this other woman are going to pass one another, unless there's multiple lifts in this place and, you know, they don't. But it's, it's just very sleazy, isn't it? It's very sleazy to have somebody on the lookout because they're going to have um, sleep with multiple women in, in one night. Like, come on, Daniel. And to, to actually make somebody to do that, you know, it's despicable. It, yeah. It's despicable behaviour for sure. But then, you know, Betty's day goes from bad to worse because when she eventually does get home, along the way, she hears Gina and Walter getting jiggy with it. Getting jiggy with it. And... You know, that's not what she needs on that day of all days. No, absolutely not. And then to to get home then and um, her father is already asleep, so she, she couldn't even really see him on his birthday. And, you know, Hilda's pretty much given her the, the cold shoulder as well. Um, I, f- I, found and, it, I found it interesting with Hilda, though, because Hilda was so pissed off with Betty and she didn't try and hide that fact However, the thing is that Hilda was still kind enough to tell Betty there's some cake saved for you. It's in the fridge, you know. Yeah. She's still pissed off, but she's still got that little bit of sisterly love that's like, I'm pissed off with you, but go on, there's cake. You know, I thought that was a, it was such a small gesture that I think said a lot about the kind of person Hilda is. Yeah, absolutely. And that I think the, the one thing that did stand out as well is that she you know, says to Betty, I just hope this is all worth it. And it just makes Betty question, I think, oh, God, you know, is doing this type of thing for Daniel, you know, worth missing these prime family prime um, sort of memories for? That, you know, it really doesn't seem worth even the money to go through that kind of shit, really. So I think she does start to question the album whether she's made the right decision. So we then go to mode the next day where Christina reveals to Betty that the reason she was hired by Bradford was so that Daniel didn't sleep with an assistant. And I mean, again, what a thing to have to hear, you know, I mean, 
Betty's starting to get a lot of knocks to her confidence at this point. Well, yeah, I mean, she'd only just had that sort of like running with Daniel where she um, he was basically ignoring her and then she tries to, you know, um, tell him her uh, Fabia idea and, um, and he brushes it off and then tells her to go and get the, the costume from the closet. So he doesn't even give her a chance and then to go down there and be told that that's the reason why you were hired. Well, yeah, that's just sort of the you know, nail in the coffin there, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is. It, it really is. But then the cruelty just Keeps is going. elevated to a whole nother level um, because Philippe um, begins his car crash-themed photo shoot for Fabia and they're a model down. So because they thought it would be cruel and funny, they asked Betty to stand in for the model. And do you know what? I feel really awkward watching this scene. Like, my heart literally broke for Betty. Like, she, I've never looked, seen someone look so uncomfortable. Like, America Ferreira played that scene so well. And the fact that Betty was like, all right, I need this job. I want to prove myself. If this is what you're asking, I'll do it. I can't believe that Betty was so brave to put herself in such a degrading position. Yeah, I... I definitely would have done it because you think, well, Daniel certainly seems to think that when he suggests it and she walks off is that, no, she's not going to do it. Not that, you know, you know what, she's just going to, um, she's going to do it anyway because she is that brave. It's got to be brave for, for somebody to do that. I know I, I can do it. And it is very uncomfortable to watch because I, it's just, your heart does break for her, and it, it's actually a scene which um, would make me tear up every time. Actually, um, I think you know I probably did cry this time I watched it, and it, it still brings tears to my eyes. For somebody to be that cruel to any person. I think what's interesting, though, is that as the scene progresses, Daniel grows a conscience, and we see that. Yes, he's a bit of an asshole at this point, but he does have a humane side to him. And the way that, you know, he's like, no, come on, enough now, stop, stop. You can see that Daniel knows he's gone too far this time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you you sort of started to see his conscience that when um, Betty was on the, the lookout, for his sleeping partners that he sort of looks out the window you know it's, it's the middle of the night he's like there in the cold and he's sort of you can even see his reflection in the window and that's there's there's a tiny bit of regret and thinking oh am I you know really am I going too far here am I treating her too awfully and then sort of brush aside when uh, that woman gets there but yeah as soon as, uh, as this happens and he beats up the down after after a while because he's like no he's no he's gone too far and then he tries to follow her out then to try and explain himself but she just says no you know you've got what you wished for you know and I think that I wrote the quote down actually is that um she said god forbid you have to work with the ugly girl your dad forced you to hire and then said congratulations you've got your wish I quit and off she goes 
it, it's honestly just heartbreaking. It really breaks my heart every single time. And, you know, Betty goes home to Queen's and how does she decide to take her rage out? Well, she goes round to Gina Gambaro's to shout at her for, you know, sleeping with Walter, only to find Gina with another man already. Yeah, exactly. And finds out that, uh, that Gina only wanted him for the TV, which then Betty unknowingly breaks when she slams the door on the way out which is, it sets the scene for a couple of episodes time. Indeed, indeed. Um, we're also introduced to Fabia and her little dog. Do you know what? There's just something about Fabia I just find hilarious. Just the yeah. way she speaks, the way she looks. She's just so funny. I think, I think she's sort of typical for the fashion world, isn't she? Like, she's obviously got, had a very lot, of plastic surgery done there but you know she got a little dog um you know her hair's all done up she's yeah she's you know obviously loves money very typical to that world yeah i i got total donatella versace vibes from her <laughs> for sure yeah absolutely absolutely and then the next thing that we see then is daniel's idea and, you know, the presentation of the photo shoot that goes very, very wrong because you immediately find out that he's been set up. Yes. Um, and when it does go wrong, um, we uh, see Daniel having to explain himself to Bradford, who is working out in the gym. And at this point, I wrote a note in my book saying... Is Alan Dale that flexible in real life? Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's, yeah, it was, I to totally forgot about that scene, to be honest. But, um, but yes, he, he's having a bit of a workout there, isn't he? <laughs> so, um, so then, yes, as, uh, as you mentioned, we find out that Daniel has been set up because Philippe is sleeping with Willie and Wilhelmina is very much out to sabotage Daniel as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah. She was doing it for the reason that she's pissed off because she wants his job and Philippe was doing it for the reason that Daniel slept with his girlfriend. And this just cemented Willie as one of those iconic Stone Cold bitch characters. And quite honestly, I adore her so much. I adore her so much. Um, and, you know, looking back, it's like, how did we not guess this? <laughs> you know, how did we not guess yeah. that Willie would do something like this? Absolutely. And it just makes, you know, it sets the scene for later for all the stuff that she does later, doesn't it? Like she would go quite far to get that job, to get her clothes into most magazines. She doesn't really care. So uh, we then go back to the Suarez household and, you know, we learn a little bit about Ignacio having a heart condition here. Um, we know they're struggling to get meds. They're having problems with the insurance. 
Ignacio says that Betty is a lot like her mom. And, you know, he's, he's just such a wonderful father to her. Like, I, he's one of the best TV dads out there. Um, but then Betty has a visit from Daniel. And this was kind of like the first time I think that the audience can kind of warm to Daniel a little bit because, you know, he, you know, really talks to Betty about what's gone on. And, you know, Betty kind of calls him out on his bullshit. You know, she's not afraid to say, like, actually, you did this, this and this. And Daniel helps to make her see that um, that they both have problems, even though they come from very different backgrounds. Um, and he promises Betty that things will be different and that he wants to use the pitch that he found that Betty had done. One thing in this conversation that actually did stick out to me um, was that Daniel, when they're talking about the problems, he responds to Betty saying that he lost a brother and that the brother was the good one and Daniel could never measure up. And, you know, knowing what's to come down the line, again, I didn't realise that the second Mead brother was referenced as early as the pilot episode. No, and it's sort of just just a fly-in mention as well, isn't it? Like, even sort of later on, I don't think you would have guessed what was going to happen because they, I can't actually remember at the moment whether, you know, uh, Alex is mentioned a bit more before sort of everything goes down. But, yeah, it's literally just a flying moment of, oh, yeah, you know, my brother died um, and, you know, I can never match up to him when... And even when he was alive, I still can't now type thing. So it's very, very fleeting, but it's definitely sort of a foreshadowing for, for later. So we then go to mode the next day where Daniel has a second chance to impress Fabia and he pitches Betty's idea and this concept around mothers and daughters and how we have to appreciate not just the big events but the little moments and it really wins Fabia over and it gets Daniel off the hook much to Wilhelmina's um, displeasure and what really I think is a testament to Betty as a character here is that despite everything Daniel has done to her she lets him take the credit for the idea. Yeah, exactly. Like, she could have easily let him say, oh, it was actually Betty's idea, but she doesn't. She stops him mid-sentence and just says, oh, it was his best idea, yeah. And, you know, that, that's, that, you know, that obviously takes a lot, especially what he could have But she's, you know, thought, I, I guess in her head, she's thinking, new start, we're going to try and get along now. Right, and I think this is the first time we really see how much of a moral anchor Betty is to Daniel. Yeah, absolutely. Like you, you sort of start to see him change, like a little bit Like he certainly changed from the beginning of the episode, Daniel. So then we have. Wilhelmina meeting the 
bandaged woman uh, that she was on the phone to uh, earlier in the episode. Um, all yes. very mysterious. Because you're still trying to guess who is this woman? Is it Faith Mills? Because, yeah, that's who I thought it is. And then we end the episode with Betty feeling proud and optimistic as Katie Tunstall's um, Suddenly I See plays over. And I think that was a really great choice of song because of the, specifically the, the lyric, you know, she's a beautiful girl, because it's showing, yeah, Betty is a beautiful girl because she's got a beautiful soul about her. And, uh, and that's what I love about this show is that it does try and promote optimism so yeah, much absolutely. because once again it shows her you know sort of walking away sort of leaving Danielle then she falls over but you know what put herself right back up and that's exactly what Becky does that and that concludes the pilot episode of Ugly Betty um so Tony, let's just rewind. And uh, have you got any uh, favourite lines from this episode? Because I had a few, quite a few little quotes wrote down that really tickled me on this one. Yes, I did. Um, the first one I did put down was the whole, I like your poncho. My dad got me one in Guadalajara, then Milan, Dolce & Gabbana, four. <laughs> Like, I, I just thought that, that was a, you know, a really good start in there. Shows the, the differences between the different types of women that you will see in Ugly Betty. That was the first one I had down. Um, I also had uh, a quote from Justin, is that, I don't want flan. Yes, get I had this on mine. Which Hilda replies, yeah, Hilda replies, honey, you're a boy. It doesn't matter if you're fat or not. <laughs> I'm kind of like, really, is that you're looking at it? <laughs> yeah, I, I, that really? really, really tickled me as well. Um, I just, yeah, I really giggled at that. And I, I, I actually had another quote from this scene here, and it was actually the news broadcast talking about uh, Daniel replacing Wilhelmina. And the host says, can the notorious man whore translate his talent at bedding women into dressing them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and exactly. And then immediately after that, it cuts <laughs> to the scene of Daniel in his office. <laughs> so, so funny. So, so funny. Yeah. Um, what, what else did I have here? Um, I had the, obviously, the Abanda quote of, Hi, are you yes. for? Because that was a great, great introduction to um, Amanda, along with the "Are you delivering <laughs> something?" One. I, I mean, I mean, the the, <laughs> the mode office just offers up so many great uh, lines. One of my favourites was when um, when uh, Mark gives Daniel Wilhelmina's gift, and she says, "You know." It's the Swarovski crystal flower, you know, and uh, it's engraved to Danny. And Daniel goes, "It's Daniel, not Danny." And Wilhelmina, just with the most deadpan voice ever, goes, what? "I'm hellaciously upset." 
Mark. <laughs> exact Mark. <laughs> yeah, I had that one. <laughs> it just cracked me up. I was just sitting here laughing and then poor old Mark is like, I am so sorry. But it really sort of starts to show the relationship between Wilmina and Mark. It was just wonderful. It was just wonderful. Hysterical. I also had Amanda on, Philippe, saying, yeah, we went out for like a week. They don't call him the tripod (laughs) because he's a photographer, if you catch my drift. (laughs) I knew he you were going to break that <laughs> <one>. <laughs> Like, this is why we love Amanda. Let's not yeah. lie. Yeah, that was... <laughs> exactly. I mean, I had one that would just before Betty went into the, the meeting where um, Amanda's like, FYI, Betsy. <laughs> <laughs> Assistants are usually here before they're more Betty's like, oh, I was filling out paperwork in HR. Yeah, just on there, I happened again. <laughs> one, uh, Amanda, come on. <laughs> one of my other favourites in this episode was um, as um, Christina introduces Betty to Zelda and Nancy, Mark says, it's the bizarro version of Sex in the City. And Amanda's like, stop it, I'm gagging. <laughs> I'm gagging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had that one. I had that done. And the there was another one which I had of Wilhelmina and Mark in her office um, just after, or no, it's actually while he's um, injecting her face and she's like, nasty, nepotistic son of a bitch gives my job to and then there's Mark. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just the way he, he whispers it. <laughs> oh, it, it is brilliant. It, it is brilliant. Um, Another one that stands out to me has to be uh, as Betty slams the door, leaving Gina Gambaro's house. Bitch, you broke my plasma. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there there was some killer quotes in there. Oh, and of course, as well, when uh, Mark first sees Betty and he's like, killer poncho. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like gagging behind as he walks off. <laughs> oh. I also wrote down a line from the conversation between Bradford and Daniel. Not a funny line, but just one I found really poignant where Bradford says to Daniel, I'm sorry I keep hoping you'll be something you're clearly not. And I'm like, wow, that from a parent, that hurts. Yeah. I, I think so. And it kind of gives me like um, a vibe as well. Like obviously he's, you know, just this this man of power is and you know, it's kind of like when Daniel then says that like the um that, you know, he was like the, the brother that he couldn't you know, he had a brother that he couldn't live up to and obviously um it, sort of gives a shout out to, to Brad the saying that and he's obviously disappointed and it, it, it kind of gives me a vibe as well of um, like Tywin Lannister in Game of Thrones that you know he's always disappointed by his children like they, they never you know what he wants at all like you know obviously Cersei is a woman and you know so he doesn't want to give her any power Jamie is a knight and he obviously just wants him to continue the Lannister 
the Lannerton name and well Tyrion Tyrion is Tyrion and he just doesn't want any family at all so kind of got that vibe to be honest he, he kind of got a, has a child dance vibe I, I completely completely agree the final one I had on my list was actually from Fabia um, and it's it's as the um, they, they pitched the new idea of you know uh, the photos of the mum and daughters doing stuff together and Fabia just turns around and says I just had a daughter I do none of those things but I can understand <laughs> I, I just thought <laughs> this is so typically Fabia yeah <laughs> <laughs> I can understand. Yeah, we do. Definitely. We do. We see her later on as well, don't we? Much later. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you have like a favorite moment of the episode? Oh, so many to choose from. Um, how about you? Why don't you go first? Because I'm going to have to really rack my brain here. Okay. Um. Well, I actually picked. Um. Uh, Betty's first success in the magazine, you know, that, um, you know, her idea was picked by Daniel and they're obviously, you know, Fabia loved her as well. And it just proves like how knowledgeable she is and how good her job that she is as well. And uh, Daniel sort of appreciated the idea in the end after he actually looked at her. And although she passes it off with Daniel's, it's still her success. A really beautiful moment. And for me, Mine is kind of similar. I would have to say it was Daniel visiting Betty at the Suarez house. I mean, the fact that, you know, Daniel kind of left his comfort zone of leaving the city and going out to Queens, somewhere I'm pretty sure he would not normally be seen, you know, because he really wants to make it up to Betty. And, you know, at first it's a bit tense and Daniel's like, you know, we've all got problems. And Betty's there like, oh, and what are yours, Daniel? You know, what restaurant you're going to eat at or which model you're going to sleep with? Um, and then she reels off all these things that she's having to sort out for Ignacio and the family. And then Dan Daniel obviously talks about losing his brother. And they both kind of have this realisation that whilst they come from very different backgrounds, they share very similar struggles. And I just thought it was such a touching scene and to me, that scene epitomizes what the show is about. Yeah, absolutely. It sums it up in, in a nutshell, really, doesn't it? No, I like that. Okay, so let's move on now to a section of the show that I like to call Tony's Trivia. I did not know you were going to do that voice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, can, firstly, can we just say thank you so much, James Earl Jones, for coming on our show to introduce the title and the trivia section. It was an honour. You know, I, I don't know how we afforded him. Um, you know, big up Mufasa there. Very first episode. <laughs> you know, that, that's the yeah, budget for I this podcast it, it gone now. It just shows how we're going to go on. You know, that, that's the budget spent now. <laughs> yeah. We're... we're broke now so we hope you guys enjoyed that <laughs> um so yes tony um each episode of our podcast of hola betty i believe you're going to be bringing some trivia with you so what have you got for me for the pilot episode okay so one of the things that we already mentioned is that obviously salma hayek uh was in that episode 
and we obviously see her a bit more later as a recurring character, not as that uh, that character in the telenovela, but somebody actually in uh, Betty and Daniel's lives. And she obviously is an executive producer of the show. Um, and what's also inter- interesting is that, I don't know if you know, Ben, but a few days ago, she actually turned 54, which I was very shocked at. <laughs> what? Like, no, I did not know this. And I was like, she put it up on the Instagram and I was like, as if. <laughs> I am shocked that Salma Hayek is six years away from turning 60. Like, oh my goodness. What is her secret? Exactly. Like, she honestly looks like she did 20 years ago. You know, she's got, like, an amazing body. You know, I think she put pictures up of sort of, like, in a bikini and things. And it's just like, God, at 54. Do you know what I mean? Like, she still looks like she's in her 30s. And I'm like, wow. Wow. You know what throws me, though, on about age is that it makes my heart sink when I realise that Ugly Betty itself is 14 years old now. Oh, God. Yeah. Literally, like, um, well, I've got down here in my facts, actually, that it premiered in America on the 28th of September in 2006. And it aged to 16.32 million viewers. That is huge numbers. And I mean, you've got to understand when this show aired, you know, shows like Lost and Heroes were at their peak. Um, So, you know, Ugly Betty had a lot to big competition and you know it was the little show that could yeah and i mean it was the most watched episode of the series as well in the u.s so interesting and then it premiered here in the uk um quite a while after actually it was 5th of january 2007 happy new year i remember watching it on channel four Channel 4, yes, and it aged to 4.5 million viewers, and it sort of grew after that more, I could see. But yeah, no, I remember seeing the trailers on Channel 4 and thinking, this looks like a show I must watch, and it just went from there, really. But yeah, so those are the statistics for when that uh, episode first aged. Now... Obviously, the woman, the mysterious woman that we see Wilhelmina talking to, uh, she was cast as the masked lady, and she was uh, played by somebody called Elizabeth Payne, who obviously is not who she is played by later on when we have the big reveal. So I think most people probably knew that anyway, but I guess they just wanted to see how everything progressed but. It's interesting to know that it was two different people. It's nice to know who's behind the mask. Yeah, exactly. Also, and I did not know this, is that Daniel's apartment is apparently the same apartment that was used for Tom Hanks' character in Big. I did not know that. No. No, I did not know. So thank you, IMDb. I just want to throw something out there um, in that as well. New York itself plays such a big role as a character in the show. I love the setting. I love how they do it. And especially Queens. Like I love the scene set in Queens because I feel like 
it really personifies the Suarez's world so well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do actually want to go to New York very, very badly. Um, yes. Also, I would like a fleeting visit to Queens. <laughs> yes, Just we may just stop by. If any listeners out there are Big Betty fans who live in Queens, please just, you know, invite us over so we can come say hi. We'd love to meet you. Yes, absolutely. And not just for Ugly Betty either, but um, I believe that that's also where uh, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons came from, which I am a very big Kiss fan, and that is going to play an important factor later on. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, And also, it's the home of Spider-Man 2, Queens. Ah, of course. So it's lots, lots of... Lots of it's got um, a lot going for it. Different thing. Yeah. So we should go. We should go there. We should and go. Then we should go. Yeah. When, when all this Bro- COVID crap is over. Yes. Broadcast from Queens. That sounds fun. Yeah. We should do an episode of Ben and Tony goes to New York. <laughs> Hola, Queens. <laughs> Hola, Queens. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, um, Another fun fact is that this episode won an Emmy for outstanding directing for a comedy series, which I thought was really cool. Interesting, interesting. Yep. Okay, did you know this one? Wilhelmina was supposed to be played by somebody else, um, a lady called Charlotte Ross, who's apparently in Days of Our Lives. But she pulled out due to other work, and that's where Vanessa Williams came in. I had no idea Mm. about that. And, you know, I've got to say, thank God that that happened. Because, you know, Vanessa, I have loved for many, many years. Um, She's a true icon in so many ways. You know, Colours of the Wind is one of my all-time favourite Disney songs. She's a great singer, great actress, you know. She was the first black Miss World, I think, or was it Miss America? I think she was Miss World. Um, And I just adore Vanessa so much. And she just plays the bitchy part of Wilhelmina so, so well. This has shocked me to my core. This has shocked me to my core. Like, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but Silvio Otter, how was Vanessa not your first choice? (laughs) Yeah. I know. Shocking. Sacrilege. Sacrilege. Well, what about this one? Mark was only supposed to be um, a one appearance character because Wilhelmina was supposed to be firing assistants on a weekly basis, but because of his sort of comic timing and everything, and I think he also had sort of a good relationship with Vanessa Williams when he was doing the scenes as well, but he kept on. The show just would not have been the same without Michael Yui. And, you know, we only see Amanda and Mark together once, really, in this episode. But even then, that chemistry was there as well. So imagine not having Mark and Amanda as an ongoing comedy duo. This show would not have been the same. Absolutely not. Uh, I'm glad that they obviously uh, rethought that one because he is one of the most iconic characters in the show. So, uh, so yeah, 
glad that that's all changed. And then the last thing that I have here is that Anna Ortiz, who obviously plays Hilda in the show, actually auditioned for the role of Kathy. Wow, I did not know this either. I mean, again, I didn't, I didn't know very... how to what a very, very surprising fact because, you know, Anna and America are so ingrained in my mind as those characters that it would be hard to imagine them not playing, you know, Hilda and Betty. Like, what a very different show Ugly Betty was going to be. Um, yeah, so I think um, I did read that, um, that America Fair was caught for the role anyway, but... Um... But yeah, apparently the Ortiz did originally. A bad thing played out. Well, Tony, thank you so much for that trivia. You have blown my mind. And I love the fact that 14 years on from the premiere, I'm still learning about this show. Yeah, me too. I honestly didn't know any of these things, hardly. So, um, so yeah, so it's nice to, to do that. And I will keep doing it. Uh, and I can't wait. But in the meantime, it's time for a section of the show that we can't not do when talking about Ugly Betty. We're going to be analysing all things fashion in a segment that we call Hola or Ho No. Okay, so Tony, we're going to put some uh, costumes that stood out to us in this episode to each other and decide whether it's a hola or a ho no. So why don't you start? What have you got for me? Um, so I've got the outfit that Becky was wearing um, in the first scene, which was the pink checkered jacket and skirt suit yes um it was like a pink and blue check skirt suit and i believe there was some sort of green frilly blouse or something underneath yeah yeah for me i'm gonna have to say it's not the worst thing betty has worn but for me it's gonna be a Oh no. So yeah, for me it's a whole lot. Um because to be honest, I actually love the suit itself. It just could have done without the green blouse underneath because those colours were not cool whatsoever. But the, the suit itself I actually quite love. Yeah, I mean I, I kind of can see where you're coming from there. I mean the suit itself isn't bad, but the, the colour clash was just unforgivable for me. I, I'm just like, I'm sorry, Betty, but, you know, and then she's got, you know, the big B necklace on the pearls. And I'm just like, oh, it's just a bit too much for me. It was just a bit too much. Yeah, I mean, I did have Betty's signature B necklace as well, um, which I I also give, weirdly enough, a whole lot just because... Um, it was Betty, but yeah, it didn't particularly go with that. Well, for my choice here, I'm going to throw in 
uh, Mark's outfit in the meeting room. So he's got like a pinstripe black suit on with this pink jumper and like a blue check shirt and yellow tie. Yes, I have that there. Well, for me, it was again a ho no because I just, I was like, to say he works in a fashion magazine, I was just like, it's just too much. And, you know, even in 2006, I think that many colours thrown together just didn't work well. I mean, Mark has the confidence to carry it off. He's got the hair to carry it off. But for me, it was just a whole no. It was just an amalgamation of too many ideas. Yeah, same. No, I didn't like all of the, the colour clashes with that. So I do a whole no as well. So the next one that I have is I've got the, the sort of white or cream poncho that was worn by the model in the first scene. Um, so it was have like a, a lot of tassels on it. Um, I, I actually gave it a whole no because I, I think the tassels were really much like they were clunky and chunky and, you know, although Becky said that he liked it, I just didn't like it. Well, I'm with Betty. I'm actually going to give it a hola because I thought it looked classy, simple and elegant. But then again, if me and Betty share the same taste in fashion, then, you know, maybe my opinion's not the best to listen to. Well, then to be fair, I did actually like what Betty was wearing in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Um, so... One of the, the outfits that I had put down, um, and literally I just put two words and an exclamation mark, was Philippe's, and I just put double denim. Oh, God, yeah, I did not put that down, but oh, oh dear God. Yeah. Like, anyone who knows Tony and I will know that we love all things 1990s. But some things are best left in the past, and double denim is just one of them. So that's why Philippe earns a whole no from me. I, I will say a whole no as well. Um, you know, the only time you could pull that off was in the 90s, or if you were going to a Spice concert, which we did. To be continued. <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> okay, so the next thing that I have. Um, I've got Wilhelmina's white skirt suit that she wore in her first scene. Yes. And I actually gave that a whole lot. I agree, whole I think, yes, Willie wears a lot of whites and greys and, you know, neutral colours, but it complements her so well. I think she's always impeccably dressed in this show. So there is nothing other than a whole that I can give to Miss Slater. Yeah, and then there was there was another one as well a bit later on when they had their second meeting with Barbie on the like sort of a white um a white dress and I think it was just like a short coat or jacket as well. Yes, I yes, I had that on my list too. Yeah. I thought that looked stunning. I, I and you know, Vanessa just exudes glamour. She she just carries it so well. Yeah. So I'm going to throw one at you now, and I'm going to go with Amanda. So she has this frill-collared blue shirt on and an untied black bow tie. 
and she's got her hair kind of all wavy into the side and I'm going to give this look a whole eye because I just thought Amanda can often come across as a bit trashy but in this scene I just thought she looked really glamorous yeah I, I'm going to give that a whole lot as well. Um, along with the outfit that she wore in her first scene, she's at the reception set, and 31st meter. I think that was with that video of me as well. Blue skirt that she had on. Um, and a black skirt, maybe. But she, she, I, I just remember that I like both of them. Very stylish. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I, I, I think Becky Newton's got a great figure to, to carry off much of the clothes that she wears, but there's certain items of Amanda's wardrobe that I can't wait to get to discussing as we move forward. The Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about you? Any more? Uh, yes, I have two more down here. Um, the one I'm going to throw at you now is the outfit Christina was wearing and it was like a checkered blazer, sort of like a tartan yes, yes. and everything. I think it really screams like a Scottish heritage, but I, I really, really like that. Well, I'm actually going to give Christina a whole no, because that was actually something I wrote in my notes was for a... Um, fashionista seamstress I think Christina's got very questionable taste in clothes. Yeah there was something that she wore later on I think it was when she was in talking to Betty in the closet um, and, and I can't actually remember what it was now but I just don't remember liking it very much but then to be honest a lot of um, sort of fashionable things like sort of designer stuff and what have you I actually don't find that great anyway. I mean, I've literally got fashion sense to that. Like, I do not have fashion sense whatsoever, but I like to judge other people's clothes. <laughs> well, you know what? That makes two of us, you know, some are born to wear them <laughs> and some are born to critique them, you know, and we are the latter. Um, well, before you get to your last one, I have a last uh, one. Um and it was Fabia in her red dress towards the end of the episode. I thought, actually, she looked really, really good. And it, give, it earns a whole laugh from me. Because when we first see Fabia, I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> what is this? But actually, the, the red dress she has on at the end, I thought she looked very, very elegant in that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give that a full laugh as well, I think. I did Okay, so save the best for last, Tony. What have you got for me? I've got it, and you, you know that it's coming. You know that it's coming. But the last one that I have is Betty's poncho. Oh, wow. <laughs> so what does this earn from you? Uh, I, I think you know what it earns from me. <laughs> it's a whole no. As signature days of Betty, I... I cannot, I cannot just let that pass by. It's, you know, it, it wasn't great. I mean, even, I, I just don't think wherever you go in for like a first job, I don't think that was the thing that you should do on the first day. <laughs> but bless Betty, she thought it was, it was fashionable because of the other woman, but. She wanted to make a statement and clearly 
you know, it didn't happen. But <laughs> I, I'm, well, it's a tough one. I mean, in terms of being iconic and becoming Halloween costumes, <laughs> I think it would earn a whole hour. But if we are talking on a fashion level, I agree. I'm so sorry, Betty, but it's a big fat oh no from me. Yeah. No, it's it's very signature for, you know, so they're just iconic Becky, but but no. It doesn't <laughs> happen. Simply burned. <laughs> Well, Tony, can you believe we've done it? We are at the end of the first episode of Hola Betty. We're, we're here. We've done it. We made it. Woo, woo, woo. Who knew there was so much uh, to talk about, about Ugly Betty? I mean, you and I have talked about this show many, many times, but it's just great to really get into the nitty gritty and in depth of it. And honestly, Tony, to do this with you, one of my besties and the biggest Betty fan I know, uh, it's been fun. It has. I mean, I don't think, even though we've, we've talked about it a lot in the past, we haven't had the opportunity to talk about it as much yet, sort of episode by episode. So I just know that this is why this is a good reason to start this, this little show. Absolutely. So I hope there's some listeners out there who will think the same. Yes. Um, I mean, at the time of recording, we haven't set up like socials yet, but we're, we're aiming to. And, you know, any feedback or anything that you want to see, you know, things that you want us to cover, let us know. Because one thing that I love is that this show has a really lovely fan base. And I hope that you will all join us on this ride. And, um, yeah, we can't wait to see you uh, in our next episode when we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 2. So, Tony, until next time, I guess all I can say is thank you so much and adios. Adios. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. I'll talk to you soon. It's my pleasure. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.